0: How are we doing? You guys doing all right? Let me just get situated here. Man, I'm so excited to speak tonight. How good was worship? I mean, can I just say that Jordan can be anywhere in the world leading worship, and he chooses to be with Oasis Church, and so we're blessed to have him. He's awesome. He's awesome, and he's super talented at literally everything. But no I'm I'm really excited to bring the word tonight and we're going to jump right in who's been getting some good stuff over the last few weeks from our wonder series anybody anybody out there been getting has anybody's faith been built up come on I know mine has I'm I'm extremely thankful for Pastor JP as well I mean we wouldn't be here without him and so we're, we're excited. We're actually going to take a little rewind. We're going to jump back a chapter from where we were at last week. And we're going to look at John 4, uh, John chapter 4. And a little bit of background on this is really important because you could get lost really quickly. So Jesus is overseeing baptisms by his disciples. He's praying for people and just loads of people are coming and being baptized in the presence of Jesus. And the Pharisees, they see this, and they get all upset about it. They get all angry, they start freaking out, and they want Jesus dead. But Jesus knows that his time has not come yet to take up the cross. And so he has to leave. They're in Judea, and he's going to go back to Galilee. Now, he could have gone back to Galilee in two different ways, one of two ways. First way, he could have gone straight through Samaria— which was super easy, straight shot, no issues, or he could have gone around Samaria and added about an extra day of travel to this journey. Now, the trip was about 70 miles, taking the straight shot. So of course, you'd be like, okay, Zach, yeah, obviously he's gonna go straight through Samaria. That's crazy, why would he go around? Well, every Jew ever would take that extra day to go around Samaria because the Samaritans were hated by the Jews. The reason Samaritans were half Jewish and half you name it, because whenever the Israelites were taken into exile, the the no goods were left behind. And then the, the nation that took them over would come and settle there. And then they would intertwine. They would interbreed and marry into each other. So the Samaritans were either half Jew, half Assyrian, or half Persian, or half Greek, whatever. And all of these people would adopt whatever religious practices that nation had, and they would combine them. So it would be half Israel, half some other god. And so the Jewish people did whatever they could to avoid them. Sorry, I'm super dry in my mouth right now. And so we pick up with Jesus, of course, going directly through Samaria. Because Jesus didn't look at people, and they weren't defined by their religious practices or by their culture. But they were, div- they were looked at at their heart. Jesus saw them by who, who they were not by what they practiced. And so we pick up at verse 7, and it says this. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into town to buy food. I love how Jesus always does cool things whenever his disciples aren't there because they wouldn't understand anyway. And so the Samaritan woman said to him, You are a Jew, and I am a Samaritan. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have given him, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did also his sons and his flocks and herds? Jesus answered, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water I give him will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give him will become in him a spring of water, welling up to eternal life. And this is where I really want to focus tonight. The woman said to him, sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. Then Jesus, here we go. He told her, go call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said to her, you are right when you say you have no husband. The fact is, you have had five husbands, and the man you now have is not your husband. What you have just said is quite true. Jesus, as Pastor JP says, is a savage. Sir, the woman said, I could see that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshiped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. Jesus declared, believe me, woman, a a sign of endearment. A time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and has now come. When the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For, a, for they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit, and his worshipers must worship in spirit and in truth. The woman said, I know that the Messiah called Christ is coming. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. Then Jesus declared, hey, it's me, the Messiah. Would you pray with me? Jesus Thank you for who you are. Thank you for your grace and your love. Thank you that you chase after the down and out, the ones who are hurting and broken, the ones that no one wants to come into contact with. God, would you pour out your spirit? Empty me of my words. Let anything that I want to say fall on deaf ears, but let everything that you want to say pierce hearts and open eyes, open minds tonight. God, we worship you, we praise you, and we thank you in advance for what you're going to do tonight. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So a couple years ago, I was, uh, I was hanging out with my best friend, and we were doing, you know, what normal adult cool people do. We were playing video games. And uh, we were playing video games. It was about 1030 at night, and I get a text message from a friend from a separate group. And this specific group, we were in the process of going through a TV series together, and we would set aside time and watch it together, and it was great. It was nice, all happy. And I get a text from one of the people in the group that says, they watched an episode without us. Now, I'm, I'm a big, like, I want to do things with people. Like, I want to be a part of it. And they just, they kind of just stabbed me in the back there. So I left immediately. And I was like, I'm coming over. We're watching this episode. A little background to the text. It came from a person of the opposite sex who we shared mutual feelings together. And now we weren't dating. We weren't, you know, doing anything wrong. But I didn't tell anyone where I was going. I just went to her place where she lived by herself. Now we're watching the episode purely platonic, all good, all safe. And I I receive a text at about 1115 we're halfway through the episode, it's getting good, and it's from my mother. Now, I don't know if you've ever had the fear of God just come over you in the form of text message, but it did in that moment. She says, where are you? And I, I don't know why, but I, I decided to be very vague, and I said, I'm at my friends. Like I said, I've been at my friends. And then, then she proceeds to ask, are you at so-and-so's, the girl? <laughs> how, do you, how, do you, how do you know? How, how, I mean, I, uh, okay. And so I was like, what? How did you know that? Yeah, I'm here. Why? And she goes, the Holy Spirit just woke me up from a deep sleep and told me where you were. So needless to say, it took about three seconds for me to get from the couch to the door to my car on my way home. I mean, but in reality, is anybody thankful for parents who actually care where you are and what you're doing? I mean, come on, that's awesome, but it was also terrifying. So I, I kind of understand where this woman is coming from a little bit because, I mean, Jesus, he, he gets real very quickly and so I feel a little bad because a little more background this woman goes to the well in the middle of the day the hottest part of the day to get water now you only did that out of absolutely absolute necessity or if you were trying to avoid people and that's exactly what she was doing she was trying to avoid the condemning eyes of the people in her town in her village And Jesus decides to call her greatest sin out by saying, you don't have a husband, you've had five, and the guy you're living with now isn't even your husband. But is he calling her out, or is he calling the sin out of her? Is he saying, you are my child, and I want you to be able to live the life that God has created for you. I want you to be able to do all that God has created you to do. You don't have to live in bondage anymore. He takes this moment and he calls her out, and it destroys her because the way that she responds is unreal to me. And now, like, I went to school for Bible, st- whatever, and I, like, we studied this passage, and you didn't bring up worship with the Jews, if you were a Samaritan. Because those were fighting words. Like, you literally were about to throw down if you were going to talk about worship. And so, she goes, well, you Jews say that Jerusalem is the place to worship, but we believe that Mount Gerizim is the place, because that's what someone a long time ago said that it was. That had to be her last resort, because of how... Baffled she was that someone would have the audacity to do something like that. That's crazy, but I love how Jesus responds. He responds in such grace and mercy and love. And he doesn't say, Woman, you're wrong. He says, A time is coming. In fact, has now come that worshipers don't need a place to worship. In fact, he he says, that it's in spirit and in truth. And what that means, honestly, it means that worship, it's not about a location, but it's about a direction. It's not about a place, but it's about a posture. It's about where your heart is. How many of you know that the world has no hold on us? We have been set free. We can come boldly to the throne room of grace. See, this woman, she was caught up in the world. That's the only thing that she knew. The world and all of the negative things that it brought. And Jesus comes to her with a petition saying, Worship is not about a place. You can do it wherever you want because of what I'm about to do. And he says, And you, of all people, even though no one accepts you, no one wants to be around you, can come and be a part of that. She brings up this rightful place of worship. And I'm just, I'm here to challenge us tonight because I think a lot of times the church gets caught up with worship on Sundays, with coming together on Sundays, and then they don't Really remember what worship is for the rest of the week. They don't go into their Monday, their Tuesday, and so on, saying, God, I'm going to worship you. God, I'm going to live for you. God, I'm going to honor you. Because worship isn't just about a song, it's not just about singing good melodies or making good music. But worship takes place in our actions, it takes place in our conversations, it takes place in our thoughts. Let's be a church that takes a stand and says, I'm going to worship Jesus every single day in everything that I do. Come on, church. We need to be a people that stands on the promises that come when we worship Jesus. And so, what does it mean when Jesus says that true worshipers worship in spirit and in truth? It's simple. It's a heart thing. That sweet thing that isn't up there. Okay, anyway, there it is. It's a heart thing. Joseph, he's a wizard. He's awesome. It's a heart thing. That's what worship is. So if your heart is just in your job, that's worship. If your heart is in a sports team, that's worship. If your heart is in your church, that's worship. And now let me be very clear with that. It's amazing to come to church. It's amazing and incredible to come together as the body of Christ. But are we coming together to have a good time and hang out with people? Are we coming together to lift up the name of Jesus? Because Pastor JP talked about earlier that the church, it doesn't save people. The church doesn't do anything. But it's the person that we're lifting up, the person that we're praising and worshiping in this room that saves people. That's the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And So I have two points tonight, and then we're going to worship some more. Is that okay? Is that okay if we worship some more? I believe that God wants to open hearts and change minds tonight. Number one, God doesn't want a pure heart. He wants a surrendered heart. And now people people all the time are like, God just wants a pure heart, wants a, a clean heart. I'm just here to tell you, I hate to break it to you, but it is impossible to go to the Father with a pure heart. You can do all that you want. You can try to get all cleaned up. It's impossible. There's only one requirement, surrender. It's surrendering at the feet of Jesus. This woman didn't have a pure heart. In fact, You could say that she was looked at as the neighborhood prostitute. Women didn't divorce more than one time, period, during this time, at all. If they did, they were a widow. They didn't remarry. They didn't get into relationships. They were as single as it gets. And so everyone knew the shame and the the sin that this woman was living in. And yet Jesus saw a heart seeking something more. I I don't think it was an accident that this woman brought up worship. I believe that worship was the one thing that she hoped to be able to take part in once again. It's the one thing that she felt like she could do. She wanted to be able to worship in a place where everyone around her wasn't staring at her in condemnation. She wanted to be able to worship freely again. And that's the most amazing thing. See, worship is awesome because we get to lift up our Heavenly Father. But I don't think that's the most incredible part of worship. The most incredible part of worship is that God loves us so much that it's in his presence that we are restored. We are made whole. We are set free completely. No strings attached. God says, if you want to be in my presence, I'm going to make you new. If you want to sing my praises, I'm going to be there for you. I'm going to reach out to you, and I'm going to take you in, arms open wide. All it takes is a surrendered heart. In God's presence, there's fullness of joy. There's everlasting peace. There's unconditional love. I feel like people don't actually realize what that means. (laughs) Unconditional love. No conditions. No requirements. Nothing. Jesus says, come on. If your heart's beating, come on. That's all he says. That's all he wants. It's your heart. It's a heart thing. And let me tell you something. Your past doesn't define you. Your, Your past does not dictate your future. In fact, at the end of this passage, (laughs) Jesus and this woman, they finish their conversation and this woman immediately runs into the town and confronts all the people who condemn her. And And she doesn't go, there was this man, he performed all these miracles, all these signs, all these wonders, it was incredible. No, she goes into the town and she goes, there's this man who told me everything I've ever done. Now, I don't don't know why someone would think, oh, well, he must be the Messiah. Because prophets back then, and even still today, but prophets specifically back then just called people out on their sin all the time. And that was no big deal. But I think the difference between those two conversations is that Jesus called her out and said, I love you. Come, come to me. I know you're weary. I know you're heavy laden. And I will give you rest. I want to give you a place to be able to worship me. I believe that when she went into that that town and started talking to those people, many believed not because he told her what she had done, but the fact that she invited her in regardless of what she had done. Because it was her heart that mattered, it was her life that mattered, not the decisions that she had made. No one's ever too far gone, like I said. No one is ever too far gone. The only requirement is that your heart is beating. That's it. You just have to have a beating heart, and you just have to have a willing heart. And number two, as we get ready to go back into worship, worship isn't a chore. It's a wonder. It's a wonder. You can't just do worship. It can't just be something that you do But it has to be something that you desire. That everything in you wants to worship your Savior, your Lord, your King. There's so much that can get in the way of worship. So much. But it's just a decision that we have to make to say, you know what? No matter what's going on around me, no matter the things that have happened to me, no matter what's ahead of me, I'm going to worship Jesus because there's power when we worship. There's freedom when we worship. And it's in that place of worship that we're made whole, that we're restored, that we're set free. You know, the Bible says that God gives us the desires of our heart. Could you imagine what would be happening in this world if the church truly had a desire to worship him all the time? And that's a challenge to me because I, I know I don't. I'm not up here to, to tell you that you're bad and you don't do it well enough because I'm in the same boat. I don't wake up and say, I'm going to worship Jesus today. I wish I did, and I'm trying to, but I'm a work in progress, just like all of us in this room. But could you imagine, just for a moment, what would be happening if we as the church Lifted up our voices in power and in strength, saying, God, have your way. God, let your will be done. Be honored and glorified in this city, in this nation, in the world. This woman, her life changed in an instant. It was a simple moment. And God's in the business of performing miracles. He performed miracles while he was on earth, and he's still doing it today through the power of his Holy Spirit. And as we go back into worship, I just, I challenge you to make a stand, to take a stand, and say, you know what? Regardless of what's going to come my way, I'm going to worship Jesus. Regardless of who comes in my way, I'm going to worship Jesus. And maybe you need to surrender something at the foot of the cross tonight. We're going to sing just a simple chorus. It says, in my life, be lifted high. In our world, be lifted high. In our love, be lifted high. I challenge you, declare that. Even if you don't believe it, sing it out until you do. Because that's the power that comes in the name of Jesus that we can praise through any situation, that we can lift our voices through any circumstance, any trial that comes our way. And so I'm going to pray. And as I'm praying, I just want you to, in your own time, stand to your feet and get ready to worship. Surrender everything. If you've never lifted your hands before, lift your hands in surrender and say, In my life, be lifted high. In our world, be lifted high. In our love, be lifted high. Jesus, we worship you. We praise you. God, I pray that as we go back into this time of worship, that freedom would flow in this place. God, that as people come into this Moment, God, that they wouldn't miss it. They wouldn't miss your spirit tugging on their heart, God, but they would see you. They would experience you. They would know that you're real, that you love them, that you're for them, and that you want them to come home. So, as every person in this room begins to stand to their feet, begins to lift up their hands, lift up their hearts, lift up their arms, their hands to you, Jesus. We surrender to you. We lift up our voices, believing that you are going to move, that in our worship, your praises are going to go forth, that you are going to inhabit the praises of your people, and that lives are going to be changed tonight in Jesus' name, in Jesus' name. Come on, let's sing it out.